0: welcome to another episode of global impact i'm jw oliver and today we're joined by a super special guest lauren mcafee how are you lauren
1: i'm good thanks for having me
0: so lauren is a passionate theologian author granddaughter of david green the founder of hobby lobby and she is a well-published author I was just reading about that but I, if you don't mind I'm going to read a little bit about Hobby Lobby to give people a context. Um, I've always been impressed with it but if you don't mind I'm just going to read a little bit of a, of a brief bio here and if I've if Great. I got old data please correct me. Um, in 1972 David Green opened the first Hobby Lobby in northwest Oklahoma City. He left his position with TGNY which I used to shop at Y, to open a second Hobby Lobby in Oklahoma City in 1975. It's a Christian-owned company It incorporates American conservative values and Christian media. Its website clearly states, honoring the Lord in all we do by operating the company in a manner consistent with biblical principles. Stores are closed on Sunday to allow time for family and worship. It was built on unshakable beliefs, the billion dollar chain of over 900 arts and crafts stores started by David Green, your grandfather, in his garage assembling and selling miniature picture frames. And unlike some of the larger companies that have gone public, it remains a private family-owned business with 43,000 employees. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: That's big. So Lauren's (laughs) grandfather is David Green. He's the CEO and founder. And your father, Steve, is the president. The family proudly promotes the philanthropy to churches, ministries, and Christian community centers. And half of the the company's pre-tax earnings go to Christian ministries. Now, y'all probably do like a hundred million dollars a year or something, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it it definitely gives a lot of room for our family to be able to give to Christian ministries and our family is very grateful for that.
0: Well, it's amazing. Yeah, and I think the number is still right. It's over a $5 billion a year revenue company. So just quite impressive. And your father uh, was instrumental in starting the uh, Bible museum, correct?
1: That's right. Yes. Yeah. So my dad, on top of being the president of Hobby Lobby, is also the founder and board chair for Museum of the Bible. So uh, my dad founded the museum, which opened back in 2017 in Washington, D.C. And the museum is the third largest museum in the D.C. area. So it's a beautiful place there in in our state's capital or our nation's capital.
0: Yeah, I was fortunate to get in that Early one, and I got the what was it called the, the the Bible that the founder founders Bible I think it's called the Global Impact Founders Bible. Is that right? Oh yeah,
1: yes, yeah. yeah. I love that.
0: Still That's use so it fun. daily. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So so pretty neat uh, that uh, that that was able to connect with that. So so you Lauren, you've got a master's in pastoral counseling, and you're currently working on your PhD in ethics. Is that right at Southern Seminary?
1: That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's PhD in ethics and public policy. Yeah. And
0: you're, so you're not only working on your PhD, but you're also full-time as the corporate ambassador for the company. In addition to writing, uh, looks like two books and then a a study guide on women in scripture, a book called Not What You Think and Only One Life. And you're what, you're what, 88 years old?
1: (laughs) I'm in my 30s, early 30s, (laughs) but... Uh, yeah, I've loved being able to write books. and my husband and I are actually working on co-authoring our next book together right now. So we've got uh, our next book will be coming out in 2023. so we're working on the manuscript now.
0: Wow, fantastic. And your husband is a teaching pastor at a church in Oklahoma City as well. Is that correct?
1: That's right. Yeah. So my husband Michael McAfee is a teaching pastor at our church and he's also the founder of a nonprofit called Inspire. And they take church groups and uh, students and family groups to Washington, D.C. for a spiritually enriching experience, looking at the Museum of the Bible as well as other spiritually formational experiences around the D.C. area. So he uh, stays busy as well, leading his nonprofit and and being a pastor.
0: Wow! I, yeah, I swear, yeah, I, if I, I'm in my mid-fifties, and if I, I would have to be about 85 to write all these books, and well, PhD is just out for me anyway. I could, <laughs> You barely get my master's. So yeah, that's out. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, I,
1: it's fun. We, My husband is also in the PhD. And so we're in the same PhD program. And so we've taken all of our classes together. So it makes it a little bit easier that we have a, a you know, study friend in it with us. We, we read all the books and discuss them and write papers. and So, so y'all are fun. on the same, same
0: classes, same curriculum, kind of at the that's same right. time. right.
1: Yeah. Wow. yeah, that's right.
0: And I understand you have you have a daughter, is that right, Zion?
1: We do, yes. Our daughter Zion, she's four years old. Yeah, she keeps that, us on our toes.
0: I was going to say that alone <laughs> would keep you on your toes. Well, yeah, <laughs> you, you've you've accomplished a, a lot. Uh, you've already done a lot at at your age. Most most than uh, than people will accomplish in a lifetime, and. So our meeting was kind of by chance, we have a mutual friend and your pastor and, and, and my friend who's been a friend for, oh my gosh, uh, 20 plus years. We used to work out together at the gym and we've known them and I do <laughs> stuff with them. And then, you know, I kept saying I was how impressed I was with uh, your grandfather's book, giving it all away and getting it back again. I mean, I read the thing twice. Uh, you can see I've got tabs all over it and I keep checking little <laughs> I like things that. that I've read about it. And uh, I was telling Uh, Rick one time I said man I'd love to get talk to David Green on a podcast she goes he goes oh no no you want to talk to Lauren his granddaughter she's the one to speak to so uh, (laughs) immediately was was directed yeah and no no doubt about it and I can already see and we both have fiery red hair so we have that going (laughs) for us don't we
1: I know I love that yeah yeah there's not very many redheads uh, out there and I hear that it's becoming less and less common red hair is dying out so I don't know
0: I had not heard that, but I'm, I'm, I Yeah, I kind of like it though, right? It gives us something special to, to coalesce about as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. There you go. Well,
0: I think what's amazing, and I, I want to segue into what you're doing as well. You know, there's not many, if any companies I know that are giving away 50% of their pre-tax profits to various ministries. And um, how, how does, how has that impacted you knowing the values that your your grandfather and your father now have instilled in you and then you're going to take that to the next generation? What does that mean to you? And this is a fairly new company, yeah. right? I mean, you're talking 50 years old. So it's not like it's yeah. a 200-year-old uh, company.
1: Right. Yeah. No, you're right. So this year is the 50-year anniversary of Hobby Lobby. So um, we'll be celebrating that later this year as a company. And my grandfather, the founder and CEO, is still uh, working full-time as the as the CEO. And so you're right. There hasn't been that uh, generational transfer yet of the company. Um, so still relatively young, uh, in a manner of speaking. But uh, I, I have been able to watch my grandfather as well as my family, like my, my parents and my aunts and uncles, uh, wrestle through the idea of wanting to be good stewards of what God has given them. So whenever my grandma and grandpa started Hobby Lobby out of their garage 50 years ago, they had no idea what it would become, but they always knew that they wanted to serve God. And, uh, part of their, they, they had a kind of mission in their life that was threefold. One was to serve God in everything that they did. Um, secondly, they wanted to have a strong marriage. And then third, they wanted to raise uh, godly generations. And so those were their core values whenever they were young, married and starting the company. And um, that has continued in their lives today. But it's also um, in terms of them thinking about what that looks like to steward um, what God has given them and raise godly generations has meant, you know, wanting to be really intentional about how they think about um, stewarding the company and seeing Hobby Lobby as God's company and not their company. And so they... They've always spoken of the company in that way. And that has, uh, I, I think been really helpful in terms of shaping how my generation, the third generation of the family looks and thinks about Hobby Lobby and our uh, involvement with the company that this is something that God has um, you know, given my family to be stewards of, but it is not our company. We don't own it. Everything is owned by God. Um, he is the author and creator of everything, and so how can we best steward what he has given us in a way that would be honoring and glorifying to him? And and that has meant growing uh, the generosity aspects with the um, you know the profits and the funds that Hobby Lobby makes as a business. And so whenever Hobby Lobby was uh, around 25 years old, so halfway um, the, you know halfway through its history as far as it's existed, my family started thinking about. Not only tithing personally, but also thinking, hey, I, you know, if we have a company that's got these profits, how can we be tithing off of the profits of this company? And so, it did start uh, as smaller percentages, and so that was, you know, five percent and then ten percent of the profits they were trying to um, make it work to be able to give that much. And back in that time, it was that was a harder, it was harder to do that because the prop company was less profitable, and they were needing to invest those. Funds back into the business to grow, and but my my grandpa and my uh, my family just knew that that was such an important thing that it was worth you know making the sacrifice and and maybe even having to do things in the company slower so that they were making the choice to be generous with what they had, and that continued to grow from there. Um, they started by giving. Um, some grants to a couple different nonprofits. And now, you know, 25 years later in the giving journey for the company, it is 50% of the profits that are made each year are given to Christian ministries and nonprofits. And so it was a journey, but it started with that, um, having those values um, to see generosity and stewardship, and then trying to apply that in small ways, and then eventually it growing to what it is today.
0: Yeah, you know, right at the start of his book, and I think it's the second chapter, he says, uh, he quotes a line, it says, uh, C.T. Studd's poem, Only One Life, the one line that really gets me is, only what's done for Christ will last. And yes. you, you think That's about a building a, a business, yeah, and, and mm-hmm. the businesses may fade away, but what you've done for eternity in Christ will definitely last forever.
1: Yeah, that quote has been a really uh, significant one for my family, and one that we still quote often. And actually, if you go to the Hobby Lobby Corporate Campus, we have a conference center where we host different gatherings and events. And there's a fireplace, and above the mantle is actually that quote is engraved on the wall, because that quote has been such a good reminder for our family of, you know, the things that we do in this life. Uh, We can do a lot of things in, in in our lives, and uh, impact the world, but the ones that are going to matter for eternity are uh, the things that we should be focusing on. So you only have one life. What are you going to do with it to focus on impacting the kingdom and glorifying God? Because that is what is going to matter in eternity. And so that, that quote uh, by C.T. Stead was um, my great-grandmother, actually, Marie Green, quoted wow. to her kids, my grandpa wow. being one of them. And so that quote, being a part of our family history, kind of goes back even to my great grandparents and them seeing the value of that eternal perspective instead of um, seeing just what temporal um, as passing away, but seeing the eternal as the thing that we want to be investing our lives in.
0: Well, I caught a couple of things you said earlier in, in this book here. He also states it was God's idea. It is God's company. It was only entrusted to the green family. And uh, that changes your perspective on how you look at things when you realize this is not all mine. God has given me the even the fiduciary responsibility to run this in the way in which he's envisioned me to run it with.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways that can play out practically. But my my grandparents and my parents really try to be intentional to say you know we don't want to just be saying these words that god owns it all like we really want to be thoughtful about what that means in terms of how are we living and how are we operating um, in a way that reflects those beliefs and what we're saying and so even in how they've structured the company they worked with uh, you know legal team to make things structured in a way that the family like actually doesn't have the ownership it, it we we all signed away our ownership and it's in a trust and so we see the family has opportunity to steward that but again not have the ownership of it and that was a way that was just the way that God led our family to practically set things up in a way that helps uh functionally show that you know we do want this to be something that we see as gods and we're stewards and um put some things in place to help practically make that make that happen
0: you know, that, and that's, uh, you also reading the book, you have a family council that actually meets to decide how you're going to give those profits away. Is that correct?
1: That's right. Yeah. So every month, the, the decision-making family members uh, for the ministry investments, they meet and they go over different requests that have been made before the family for funding and, and vote on that. And always through prayer. And, and then also doing research and looking at due diligence to make sure that we're giving at places that are, that are also being good stewards of the finances that we provide. So that has uh, been how the family giving has happened. And the, the request, there are thousands of requests for funding that come in every year. And so the family has decided though, that they want to give Uh, go really deep with a smaller number of organizations instead of giving small amounts to a lot of groups. And so there are those organizations that the Hobby Lobby Ministry Investment Department reviews and then the family votes to give to. And that's been a really neat process. So my generation, the third generation family members, we don't have a vote on the giving yet, but we are able to be in the room and watch them as they process through the decisions And so we're able to observe how our family my, you know, that, that are the executives of the company are thinking through where they want to give the funding, where they want to steward, where they want to give, um, and, and then inviting the Holy spirit into that and, and being prayerful about everything. And so, um, that's been a really neat process for me to get to watch is my family, you know, working together and, uh, you know, sometimes there are things that they'll disagree with on one another, but they always end by you know having a vote and cheering each other on and even if something goes away one way that you know someone in the family didn't necessarily vote that way but the rest of the group did and you know we're they're happy to trust the family with that and um, so yeah it's it's good to have that relational trust that's built over years but then also practically every you know every month they're um, choosing to trust each other and be in relationship and and do this work together of giving, um, the, to different ministries that the family's involved in. So it does take that level of trust and relationship. And, um, that's such an encouragement because, you know, I'm everyone, everyone has family and I'm sure everyone has had conflicts with family members or times where they don't agree with family members. And, you know, you have to, um, just remember, you know, this is a part of, um the way God's created us is to be in relationship and and not everything is uh always going to be the way we want it and that's part of um kind of you know having the humility to work alongside one another and in a family and make these big decisions and and care for each other and cheer each other on at the end of the day
0: well that that's probably got to be quite impactful just sitting in that room listening because you know while while there are the business meetings and they're talking about operations and profits i'm sure and the, the normal course of business that that happens but to be in a a, a, a secondary environment where you're actually saying here's where we're actually going to make impacts for the kingdom and where we're going to be able to give funds that has to you know your dad talks a lot your grandfather talks a lot about it in the book um that 70 percent of second generation businesses fail you know that that's that's yeah. pretty common right that you hand it to the next generation and they just squander it or they didn't buy into what mm-hmm. the the mission and the core values were and, and it fails so it, it it's it's as if by being a part of this missional giving christian impact piece that that is traversing down to the third generation as we speak
1: yeah no no you're so right those the statistics of companies making it past into the second generation is small, but then it's even smaller when you consider success into the third generation. And so uh, it, it is something that the statistics um, can be quite alarming when you think about um, businesses that just don't make it into the third generation. And so that, that's part of why our family set things up the way that they did with the um, ownership being in a trust and the family being a board that um, advises and oversees that. So it's not that the ownership is being split into all of these family members that, you know, as you get out to three and four and five generations, that's hundreds of people. Um, So it helps to kind of keep the ownership in one place and just see those that are involved can have an opportunity at the table and for stewardship, um, but not necessarily ownership. And so that is one of the ways that we've tried to set things up so that the business will be successful in the future for, for future generations. Um, so that it can continue to be um, living at its purpose, which is to make a profit and be able to give half those profits to kingdom ministries. Um, but the family has also been really intentional to, to set things up in a way that they are trying to instill those same values that, that my grandparents and my, my parents' generation have into the future generations. And so one of those ways is that you know, we get to observe how they're applying those values just in a very practical working out of their relationships and running of the business and the decisions that that they make. But they've also uh, written uh, as a family, a family vision, mission, and values. And so every year we gather for what we call a family celebration, which is just a time where all the family members gather together and we review our family's vision, mission, and values. And all of those values are shaped by scripture. So we have a document. Every family has this document that says, you know, these are what we value. And it has scripture Uh, underneath each value kind of saying like, this is why we value that is because we see God values this. And so, um, those are, those are really important things for us to not just have on a piece of paper, but to be talking about, which is why our family has chosen to kind of every year set aside time that we're reviewing that and talking about that. And our family's, um, mission is to love God intimately. And give extravagant and live extravagant generosity. And so um, knowing God and living generously is kind of the heartbeat of uh, what our family wants to be about. And we, um, we talk about that all the time, um, but especially very intentionally at this annual meeting where we, we pull up that document and discuss ways that we've seen God working throughout the past year Um, and ways that we um, can continue to be uh, living out those values in our day-to-day. And so that's definitely been a significant thing for me as a third-generation family member, like uh, such a blessing for me to get to observe the ways my family's been really intentional to want to live out these things that they're saying that they value and do that in a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah, that that holds you to uh, quite a different standard and higher level of accountability that you know, makes it a little more difficult when you've got a a written document in front of you that says, this is our family values. This is what we believe in. And, and I know within that, uh, you you don't just get a job at Hobby Lobby because you're a family member either. Right. I mean, I've read in there, you you better, you better have a, you better play your role and they're going to treat you just like everybody else. And you're not going to get treated special because you're my granddaughter or or grandson or whatever it may be. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I, you know, my first job at Hobby Lobby, I worked at a bunch of different Hobby Lobby stores, um, in high school and college. And then once I graduated from college was working at the corporate office, but yeah, I was, you know, I, I got a job where there was an opening, which meant I was doing data entry, uh, for, for a couple of years and it was great. I mean, I, I've loved all the jobs that I've gotten to have at the, at the corporate office, but, um, certainly we're not, uh, handed anything and my, my parents and grandpa have made that you know very clear what the expectation is is that you you can apply you can get a job like anyone else and you can work hard and if you (laughs) just like anyone else are doing a good job you may work your way up in the company but um yeah I think that's instilled a good work ethic and helpful to have that expectation from the front end too so that we know you know what the expectation is.
0: You know, you, you, you mentioned something early on when you first were kind of giving a background and, and it really st- struck me in a chord. You know, I, I, before I read this book, uh, uh, my friend and your pastor, I guess I call him my pastor, even though he was never my pastor. But, but Rick, you know, when I was meeting with him years ago, we were starting this business and I was telling him about we were giving 51 percent of our profits at Zimworks to uh, mission, you know, mission groups and uh, various Christian organizations to make a global impact. And, uh, as I said, you know, you write that down, you're like, "All right, well, it's nothing now because we're not making any money. we're putting money in and mm-hmm. and now, the past few years, as we've grown, nothing like forty three thousand <laughs> we it's funny because our we have a goal of twenty thousand uh employees in in zimbabwe oh, okay. and but it and you know we're at five hundred and we've grown that just in a couple of years, and we're seeing it really speed up but i'm thinking wow forty three thousand how do you get there?" <laughs> <laughs> but you said something that from a business perspective is interesting. You know, you want to grow your business. You want to hire more people because that's more impactful. That's making a difference. Mm-hmm. And everyone makes a difference for the kingdom, as as we say. But you you want to go ahead and give away that 50 or 51%. But in, in some on your other hand, you're kind of thinking, wow, I could use that profit to grow faster. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's amazing to look at what Hobby Lobby has done and being able to grow at such a rapid pace while still living by that preset, because from me as a business owner, that's not easy. I mean, yeah. you're giving away that very cash, which you could probably use to, to leverage your business faster.
1: Yeah. I mean, it really, what makes, I think the difference is when, you know, it's it's easy, I think, to say that you want to do these things and that you value these things, but It really shows up when the rubber meets the road and you're, you have the dollars in front of you and you're saying, okay, we could invest this in our company or I could pay myself this, or we could give it away. And you're really having to, to put, put, put things into practice that you've said you valued. Um, and that's, that's challenging for everyone. That's challenging for me in every area of life, in terms of being a person of faith, of putting my, faith in what I say, I believe, and to practice every day on, on every level, not just with finances or how we run a business, but how we treat people and how we um, engage in culture and all of those things. And so, um, yeah, that that is, I think, the hard part, and that is a challenge. And you, you say Hobby Lobby grew rapid, rapidly, but Hobby Lobby actually had very slow growth. I mean, you're talking the company is 50 years old, uh, and now it's at the size that it's at. But for the first... 20 years, there were only three to five stores. Uh, oh, wow. and so yeah, the rapid growth did not really happen until they were around for 25 years. I mean, that's almost my entire lifetime. You know, I'm in my early thirties. So, um, grandpa and the family was working hard every day and showing up and there were seasons where they thought they'd have to close their doors. Um, particularly in the late '80s, we're based in Oklahoma, and there was an oil um,
0: yeah, the oil, an oil there, boom yeah. and then the
1: oil bust, and that, that really affected Hobby Lobby because uh, the stores were not getting any customers because no one had the money to spend on craft items, um, and so you know the family was looking at bankruptcy um, or closing wow. the stores and you know, God brought them through that, but that was after the company had been around for 15 years and, you know, still challenging and they had three stores. And so it was, it was slow and it was, you know, my family, grandpa was just steady about it and, um, continued to be faithful with what he had when that was a little, which was, you know, just a few stores. And then, and that's, that's what laid the groundwork for him to have that character built over time, to have now what Hobby Lobby has, which you know, fifty years later uh, is you know tens of thousands of employees, and um, I think we'll hit a thousand stores in, in next year. So we have wow. over nine hundred stores now, and we'll be at a thousand next year. So it is those daily, like the daily small acts of obedience, and remaining steady, living out your faith, living out your values, um, and doing that for a long time. Um, I I wish I could remember the quote, but, um, oh, someone said like, oh, faith is like a long act of obedience, like a long and steady act of obedience and, um, you know, choosing to apply those every day in both the small ways and the big ways. And that was, I think that's, my grandpa has been a really great example of that for me of seeing that he spent his entire lifetime of his, his career being obedient and faithful with when it was one store, when it was a few stores, and now when it's nearly a thousand.
0: Well, and I think that comes right out of the New Testament, right? Uh, when you're obedient in small things, you can be obedient in great things, and uh, are right. faithful in small things. And I think that's true. If I'm not mistaken, this is from memory, but uh, and and I'm 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 actually from the Wichita Falls area, uh, and so the if I'm not sure, it was the first store in Altus, Oklahoma. Is that right? did I remember that right?
1: So my grandparents are from Altus, Oklahoma. Oh, they're from Altus, um, okay. Yes, so grandma and grandpa uh, met in Altus. Grandpa was working there at a five and dime store and grandma was working there as well and then they got married and moved to Oklahoma City, and that's where that all started, but yes, their roots, yes, are tied to Altus, so you do, yeah, you've got that right. (laughs)
0: I've got some, I've got some good friends in Granite, Oklahoma, which is right there, not too far from Altus, Oklahoma, that's kind of the western Oklahoma world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah,
1: that's that's
0: definitely it, (laughs) but that's small beginnings, right, I mean, Altus, Oklahoma, you hear you're uh, working, yeah, very small, humble beginnings, and then put it through for a long time, and now, the vision and the impact so well I I don't want to take any more of your time this has been just fantastic Uh, you've got a whole ton of stuff here that uh, I think we'll do in a uh, five-hour lecture series because uh, we could go (laughs) on and on from from uh, your Oklahoma City Thunder University of Oklahoma football uh, (laughs) LA LA Dodgers uh, baseball I assume are you an LA Dodgers AAA fan or, or both
1: both, yeah, both, because the the Dodgers feed into our uh, Oklahoma team, our smaller team.
0: So my my son's uh, best one of really good friends. He's he's been bouncing between the Dodgers and uh, back oh, to AAA. So he'll be in Bricktown okay. and then he'll be back in yes. LA, back and forth. So yeah, he's he's been in the league <laughs> awesome. about four or five years. So he's he's enjoying that phase of it. All but, right, Lauren, this has been fantastic. What are do you doing your free time? Do you have free time?
1: Yeah. You know, I love to read, read and drink coffee. That's what I do. Oh.
0: Well, <laughs> so, I, I can't find yeah, enough time I, to read, I
1: definitely I stay definitely, busy. Yeah, as well said, I can't find enough time things. to read, but
0: I, I definitely drink all the coffee I can. So that's, that's it uh, yeah. for sure.
1: <laughs> that's the good stuff. Yep.
0: <laughs> well, your impact Lauren is just unbelievable. What your grandfather has handed down and, and, and your father as well. Um, you know, we probably shouldn't skip over your dad. He's the one that impacted you the most and, and, uh, what he's been able to do with the museum of the Bible and, and, and growing that piece that has become a, uh, a legacy as well. And, uh, you, you could almost get me crying about your family. I'm sure that it's easy for you to. So just, just, a <laughs> yeah, pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. How it's just honored God and, and you're continuing to do that. I love what you said It. uh. Uh, I saw, I think it was on maybe your LinkedIn. I said, I hope at the end of my life to say that I lived for kingdom impact.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's what it was about, right? That goes back to that CT stud. You know, we only have one life. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so how do we live our lives in such a way that we'll have that eternal, that kingdom minded impact? Yeah, that's so important.
0: Well, I may have to copy that quote and put it up near my fireplace somewhere. That's pretty impressive. There you go. <laughs> hey, go for it. <laughs> it's not it's not the that's Hobby crazy. Lobby one. It's it's studs, so we could use that one, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's right. It's, it's fair game. <laughs>
0: well, Lauren, thank you for joining us. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening in. This has been uh, probably one of my best ones, top ones I've ever had for a guest because Everything they're doing is being impactful for Christ. So thanks for joining us and have a great week.